Good morning, church. Happy New Year to you. Welcome to everyone. So glad you're here. If you've joined us online, welcome to you. Glad to have you. Um, Pastor Glenn uh, did not mention that Financial Peace University is beginning today at this hour, 10 o'clock in the auditorium right across in the Welcome Center as you came in. If you were intending to take Financial Peace today, you need to get up and go there right now. You have my permission. If you haven't taken Financial Peace, you uh, will be one of the last Christians in America to take Financial Peace University. You don't want to be on that list. So I highly recommend it. It's a nine-week series. It'll change your life. Today I want to talk about a little bit about money management and the power of change. The power of change. And it's interesting this morning, you know, the weather's a little tough out there and and uh, at 8.30 this morning, it was pretty dreary. And I came in, and one of our prisoners said that, uh, that they had just gotten off the phone with their, with their son, who was in tears because he wanted to come to church at 8.30. And she didn't, wasn't able to rouse him enough to get him going in time for him to come. And so he was very upset. He was in tears. They didn't get to come to church at 8.30. And she said, well, how, how do you feel about that? And I said, well, I'm in tears because I did have to come to church at 8.30. <laughs> so we have something in common there, just a little different motive. So glad, glad you showed up at 10. That's good. Feeling better about that. If you have a Bible, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. This is the Apostle Paul now writing to the church in Corinth. And he's talking about being a generous person. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word as you're able. Thank you for doing that. Here's verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I mean, God encourage and inspire us through his word today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. 20% of Americans say they have no savings. 20%, no savings at all. Approximately 50% of Americans earning, listen to this, 50% of Americans earning over $100,000 per year say they live Paycheck to paycheck, hand to mouth. They have no savings. The average savings rate in the U.S. right now is 4.6%. So if you save your disposal income at a higher rate than 4.6%, you're above average. Uh, 30% of Americans do not have enough saved to live on three months. If there was an emergency of some sort, you couldn't make it for three months. I checked two or three different sources on this one, and it, the, and it ranged from 33% to 50%. So somewhere in that range, 33 to 50% of Americans have nothing saved for retirement. Nothing at all. These are folks, I assume, who expect to live on Social Security and that alone in retirement. 
60% of Americans do not have a written budget. 64% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, at least intermittently. 46% of them say they do so all the time. These are rather startling numbers. I suspect that these numbers do not apply to very many people within the sound of my voice today. So what I have to say today is going to be really reassuring and affirming to most of you. But for some, these numbers could be helpful to give context for some of the change that may be necessary in your own life because there is power in the right kind of changes. 2,500 scriptures have to do with possessions, money, and the management, stewardship of those assets. Perhaps the greatest challenge for Christians or indeed for anyone is to develop the right relationship with money. Are you listening? The right relationship with money, to have the right attitude about money, to understand the proper role that money plays in your life. Now, as uh, Beth and I get closer to retirement, which is happening, going to happen this year, we've become more and more reflective. And thinking about this subject, of course, is cause for reflection. And I just want to share with you openly about some attitudes that I have about money. I hope it's helpful. There are only really two times or two different circumstances that cause me personally to think about money. Now, I know that I'm not normal. And when I say that, that's usually a negative connotation. And that applies here. I know I'm not a normal person in a lot of ways. But I think this may be helpful perspective for you to at least consider there are only two times circumstances that I think about money. One is in the professional category of my life, and I ask the question, do I have enough money to do what God is asking me or asking us to do in the life of the church? And if the answer is yes, then all is well, and we go ahead with our plans. If the answer is no, I don't have enough money to do what God is asking us to do, then it's about casting vision and selling the idea and, and searching the will of God and plans of God for us and raising the money necessary so that the plan can be executed and the mission fulfilled. So that's one case. I've been, I've been asked a number of times, uh, this has been interesting to me that I get so many questions in this category since COVID. And the question I get is why has Union Chapel continued to thrive in a post-COVID world? Now, that's a, that's a fair question, and it's a good question. And the reason it's a good question is because not every church is thriving in a post-COVID uh, post world, post-Christian world either. And so here we find ourselves as a local church in the category of thriving. The last few years have, have been historic years for us in the life of our church in every kind of positive, measurable way. And so to answer the question, why has Union Chapel thrived under these circumstances, I have reason that there are two primary responses to the question. One reason for it is leadership, and the other reason for it is in the category of vision. To be more specific, where leadership is trusted and where the vision is compelling, I believe people are made confident in their giving and their participation. Now, at Union Chapel, let's, let me announce this. this. is the first Sunday of the year, 2024, the year of our Lord. We have absolutely no debt. We owe nothing to anyone. 
in our church. The physical campus is in excellent condition. When you come on our campus, it occurs to you, whether consciously or, or subconsciously, that this place is in good repair. We have an excellence value, and we have a great team of people who care for our physical campus, and it's in great shape. Our mission is strong and growing. We've never influenced more people in the history of our church than we do today. You've heard me say it this way, we will reach more people for Christ tomorrow than we did today and more people the next day than before. So the mission is strong. Our ministry team and our leadership filled with people who are amazing, capable, trustworthy. And on top of all that, we have cash reserves in our church. And if you've ever been associated with a nonprofit organization like a local church, uh, you know that having cash reserves is a luxury in most places. And we enjoy that. By the way, our Christmas offering this year was historic. I wanted to share that this morning. Uh, The last report I got is the Christmas offering hit $245,000. That's pretty great. Someone should go, yay. That's really something. That's going to go a long way, you know, with our recovery home and this home that we want to build for children in transition into foster care. Uh, And that's an amazing response. Now you say, I wonder how they got to 245000 I didn't give a dollar. Well, too bad for you. Too bad for you. You missed an opportunity to be blessed. So there are other circumstances besides my professional ones when I think about money. The other circumstance that I think about money is in my personal life. And that's when I ask the question, do I have enough money to do what God permits me to do? In my professional world, it's do I have enough to do what God asks me to do? And in my personal life, do I have enough to do what God permits me to do? Um, Beth and I, my wife, I simply do not make major purchases without God's permission. When we pray about, you know, I'm going to buy a house or buy a car or something substantial like that, it's never, hey, God, I'm fixing to uh, buy something. You know, I hope it's okay with you. Our prayer is always, uh, Lord, is it permissible for us to do this? And we never, we never do a major purchase without God's permission. And that works out, that works out good. So let me just summarize this way. And this is the part I want you to get. Are you listening? I hope you are. Money is actually amoral. Money in itself is neither good nor bad. Money is utilitarian. Money is simply, essentially and simply a means to an end. It's a means of exchange. Money only has energy or power or life when it's exchanged for some goods or service. Depending on how and why money is used will determine its influence, either for good or for bad. So the the spirit of money or or the power of mammon, which is a biblical phrase, because because money and associated issues do take on characteristics and actually have power to influence people for good or for bad. And the spirit of money or the power of mammon is ultimately determined by its use, by the motive behind the investment. So depending on the motive and the intent of its use, money can either be a great good and a blessing or it can be a horrible evil. So your attitude, your heart, and your motive around money will determine its influence 
either for good or not. Are, are you following that? Let me, let me show you a, a scripture that many of you are familiar with. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Look at it on the screen. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. This is the Apostle Paul, the older guy, talking to a young pastor named Timothy. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And so this is the, this is the old seasoned leader saying, be careful about getting some kind of wrong attachment, emotional attachment, relational attachment to money because it can throw you off course. It can dis- distract you from what's really important. So let me just let me make these statements. Listen to me carefully, if you will. You can love money. You can hate money. You can fear money. You can feel entitled to money. You can feel impoverished either with too little money or you can feel impoverished with too much money. I, I know that doesn't sound intuitive, but a spirit of lack, a spirit of I'm not going to have enough. This poverty mentality can grip people who don't have enough money, which is understandable in a practical way, but it can grip any person if they have the wrong attachment to money, even if they have more than they need. I have a friend who knows a billionaire, that's billion with a B, that's a person that has a thousand million dollars, whose wife will not allow him to contribute to his local church because she's afraid they won't have enough. Now, that's a billionaire with a poverty mentality. So you can, so, so you can, you can feel impoverished around the subject of money. Any emotional relationship you have with money, listen, will not serve you well. My advice to you is to save your emotions for your relationship with God, with people, with your pets, these are all personalities that can respond to your emotion and, re- and engage you in relationship. But money cannot. Money is neither your friend nor your enemy. Therefore, you should not pursue a relationship with money. Money can, can be a great, a great tool in your hands. It can be a great blessing when you have the right perspective on money and as you manage it as a good steward, according to God's principles and biblical worldview. Are you following this? Now, today's message is about change. My hunch is that some of us in the room probably need to make some adjustments about our attitudes toward money. Stop, stop obsessing about it and allowing, and allowing it to influence and control too much of your life when instead you should submit your life to God and trust him for the resources you need in whatever context he calls you to. Now, I don't know what you put in the offering today, but you just got your money's worth right there. (laughs) He who has an ear, let him hear. Hear the wisdom of God. It'll help you. Now, Dave Ramsey, I mean, he's the guru. He's the latest big thing and stewardship, financial management in the Christian circles. 2,500 scriptures indicate God is very interested in helping us manage our money. Dave uh, says that God is really concerned about the management of his stuff done his way to his glory. Dave Ramsey admits out loud that none of the stuff he teaches 
he originated. He said, I got everything I teach right out of those 2,500 scriptures, right out of the Bible, and from my grandmother. In other words, just with common sense. Let me rehearse with you this morning the five things. If you, if you sit down today and, and got on YouTube and said, Dave Ramsey talking about money management, he would give you, you would hear him do these five things. You could get up right now and go into the auditorium where the financial peace is going on and you hear these five, five, same five things. I'm just, I'm rehearsing what Dave teaches on the subject. It's all biblically based. And so you're going to hear it here. You're going to hear it there. You're going to hear it. And I hope it's encouraging to you. But these are proven biblical principles of stewardship. Here's what we know, that if you practice these basic things, these basic principles, if you follow them, put them into practice, you will be blessed. Your life will be enhanced by it. You will be favored. God will notice you, and the blessing of God will come to you 100% of the time. I'm not equivocating on that. I'm I'm, I'm not hesitating. I'm not, I'm not blinking. I'm just as straightforward and as confident in the statement as I can be. If you practice these basic principles, God will bless you. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. There's no, there's no one in the world who can stop the blessing of God from you. The devil himself can't keep God's blessing from coming to you if you follow these principles. They work 100% of the time. It just works. So... Uh, put it in this context, we have a lot of farmers in our community. We have a lot of farmers in our, in our, in our church. And these guys and gals are going to go out this spring and they're going to put corn seed and bean seed in the ground. And in a handful of days or a week and a half or so, there are plants that are going to come up. And guess what they're going to be? They're going to be corn plants and bean plants. And let me ask you, who's going to be surprised by that? Nobody is going to be surprised. Can you see the farmer going? There's a corn stalk. Nobody's shocked. Nobody's surprised. They put, they put, they put it, the seed in the ground. They got exactly what they planted. Now keep that thought. Here's the first thing. Live on a written budget. Live on a written budget. 60% of Americans don't have a written budget. That's 64% of Americans living paycheck to paycheck. Look at Luke chapter 14. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. This is Jesus. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will, will ridicule you saying, this person began to build, wasn't able to finish. So it's important to keep track, to count, to be accountable for the money and resources that comes into your hands. Zig Ziglar, he was a famous uh, motivational guy, a Christian guy. He said, if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. John Maxwell, you know, Christian leadership guru, a budget is people telling their money what to do instead of wondering where it went. Here's Peter Drucker. He's uh, a social scientist, business spokesperson. He said, you can't improve what you don't measure. You can't improve what you don't measure. All that to say that winning, succeeding, is an intentional act. It's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. No one accidentally grows a bumper crop. So here's the, here's the whole idea. Plant something and then control what you can control. 
write it down, stay on top of the details. Now, here's something that I've learned in life and in ministry. All things being equal. Now, hear that, hear that qualifier. All things being equal, the difference between good and great, the difference between average and exceptional, the difference between okay and excellent, the difference between good and great is an attention to details. All things being equal, the person who attends to the details will always outpace the person who doesn't take care of the details. Such an important principle. So a budget is attending to the details. It matters. If you refuse to budget, then you're settling for average. And God doesn't want anyone to settle for average. So live on a written budget. Here's number two. Avoid debt. Now this is a, this is a big deal. This is a drum that Dave Ramsey beats pretty hard. He uses Proverbs 22.7, the rich rule over the poor, the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, Ramsey's radical on this subject, you know, like get your credit cards out, cut them out, cut them, off, cut them to pieces, no longer use these credit cards. And he makes ar- strong arguments for this about, about avoiding debt. And he makes good arguments. And so it's important to give an ear to what he says. I do know that it is most difficult to avoid debt the younger you are. When early on in your life and in your, your family, a new beginning, if you have a spouse, and you're trying to get a family established and so forth, there are basic needs that you have. You know, you need shelter, you need transportation and so forth, and it's, and it's difficult to avoid uh, finding some debt. It's also difficult when you're a student these days because these lending agencies are happy to provide student loans to people. And folks are now graduating college now with this incredible levels of student debt. It's really, it's incomprehensible. It's usury. It's, it's, it's a wicked thing being foisted upon our culture, especially our youth culture. And so, and so avoiding debt takes a lot of intentionality and a lot of determination, but it can be done. And it's important that you try to avoid debt as much as you can. Here's a statement that I've made over the years. I'll say it again for those of you who haven't heard me say it. Others of you, many of you will be nodding your head like I've heard him say that a few times. It's simply this. If you have young adult children, if you're old enough to have young adult children, let me remind you that your young adult children have a God-given right to their own poverty. The room always gets quiet. People look at me with that sour Sour expression. Your young adult children have a God-given right to their own poverty, and, and by that, I mean stop enabling your young adult children. Now, I understand there's crisis, and there are moments when they, they need the help. They're in crisis. It's a, it's a moment where someone, they need help, and I, I get that. So I'm, I'm not totally insensitive to circumstances that are dramatic like that. I'm simply saying as a general rule of thumb, let your young adult children figure it out. Everyone figures it out. And all you're doing is delaying the development of that muscle that they need called delayed gratification. They need to wait. There's nothing wrong with waiting because they will build up the right kind of character endurance necessary to make it over the long haul. So let them suffer. They'll figure it out. Okay, I can see that that's very painful for you, for you. So let me just move on. 
Dave recommends a, a debt snowball. Uh, this simple is a simple principle. It works really well. If you have, if you have credit card debt, car loan debt, student debt, those kinds of uh, commercial debt, consumer debt, um, take the smallest balance that you have, regardless of the interest rate and so forth. But take the, your smallest balance just to just to get some momentum and have some victory. Take the smallest balance, credit card or whatever it is, and pay that down first. The debt snowball. So you start building momentum. Then take the next largest and et cetera, until you find yourself maybe free of all consumer debt until you get to your mortgage, that sort of thing. And so that's the recommended thing. The, the, the reminder is that your greatest wealth builder is your income. And when you don't have to pay someone else, all that income flows to you. And it's a, it's a real eye-opener when you're completely free of debt and all of your income stays with you rather than going out to other people. Now, let me just say, this may be an opportunity for some of you to change. And there's great power and freedom found in change. Change that matters, change that follows the principles of God and provokes the blessing of God. So think about that. Here's the third of these five principles, and it's simply foster high-quality relationships. This one is a little uh, bit of a surprise to lots of folks when they hear it, but it's very powerful. Look on the screen at 1 Corinthians 15. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And just the, the inverse of that is also true. Good company enhances Christian character in your life. So you become, in other words, who you hang with. You become just like the people you befriend. Studies indicate that within a decade, your income, for example, will be within 10 or 15% of your 10 closest friends. Within a handful of years, your income will actually be within 10 or 15% of your closest friends. How many of you thinking, I need some new friends? <laughs> I wouldn't recommend dumping your old friends, but cultivating new ones may be the kind of change you need. I mean, think about it. If you hang out with generous people, Bible reading people, prayer engaging people, serving others, people, regularly worshiping people, men who treat their wives lovingly and respectfully kind of people, parents raising their children with clear biblical and moral boundaries and expectations kind of people, then you will be like those people. You'd be just like them. And that's what you want. You don't let your children hang around with friends who are a bad influence. So model for them what it looks like to be engaged with the right kind of people. So foster those relationships. Maybe you need some change. Here's number four. Save and invest. Again, 20% of Americans say they have no savings. 50% of Americans earning over 100000 a year live paycheck to paycheck. These are folks who look good on the outside and are broke in reality. You live in paycheck to paycheck. Listen, Sweetheart, you're broke. The average savings rate is 4.6%. 30% of Americans don't have enough savings to maintain their life for even three months. And then that 33 to 50% of Americans have nothing saved for retirement. That's pretty sobering, pretty, pretty scary. But if you don't have any payments, then you have extra money. And that's the good news. Look at Proverbs 21.20. The wise store up choice 
food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. In other words, they devour all they have. So if you spend everything you make, biblically speaking, these aren't my words, this is King Solomon, if you spend everything you make, you're a fool. So you don't want to be that. You want to make changes. If you spend everything you make, you're not acting wisely. Ramsey teaches an emergency fund of three to six months for a rainy day, an accident, an illness, pandemic. Life happens, right? And so this is, this is a wise thing. Now, we've mentioned Financial Peace University, which is the, the reference that we make and encourage people to engage. And the reason this is so important is because in the matter of money, the less experience you have handling money, dealing with money, maybe your family of origin didn't have a, a strong culture around the subject, and you find yourself in some deficit. I mean, you, you go, this, this whole question of money, especially now, here's the pastor saying, save and invest. I don't know how to do that. I don't know the first thing about that. And it's, and it's overwhelming. It's, it just seems so complicated and, and so difficult. And so I, I just, I don't know where to start. I know how, how to begin this whole thing. Well, the, the genius of Financial Peace University is that it takes you step by step. And Ramsey actually calls these steps baby steps. I mean, here's the first baby step. You know, set aside $1,000, save $1,000 for as an emergency fund. It's the first baby step. Well, the reason he calls them baby steps is because average folks like you and me can figure this out. We can actually do it. And that's all we need, isn't it? We need to understand how to do it, and we need the encouragement to do it, and that's what the class provides. And so I encourage you to get in, get into the class and start. So I don't know where to start. It'll tell you where to start. And there's a second baby step and a third baby step. And if you listen to Ramsey, you know, on his podcast or whatever, people call in and they say, I'm on baby step three. And everyone goes, yay, baby step three, way to go. And it's, so it, it makes it easy makes it understandable, and you learn as you go. So anyone and everyone can do this. And God wants you to understand it so that you can take the steps necessary. I love the Ramsey comment that if you, if you, if you, live, like, if you live like no one else in the days like today, someday you can give like no one else in the days in the future. And it's a great, it's a great promise and a great challenge. So you can do it. Save and invest. You can figure this out, and we want to help you understand it the best we can. Here's the last of these five principles. Be incredibly generous. Be incredibly generous. We have lots of generous people in the life of our church. In fact, you're sitting in a room right now with the most generous people in this entire community. One of the reasons that there's such a beautiful spirit in the life of our church is because there are so many of us who live with open hearts and open hands. And we've learned the benefits of giving and being generous and the benefits and blessings that follow that without exception. What is going on around here? I met a new friend about three or four weeks ago. They were in our service one morning. I was talking to them between services in the lobby. And this person said to me, this church is special. And I said, yes, I know. I wondered if he knew why. And then he said this, and I quote, you actually do things to make a difference in the community and the world. He said that out loud. 
He said, I go to a small church on the other side of town. All we do is talk about things we should do to make a difference. But your church actually does things to make a difference. And that's about being generous, isn't it? Because we do. We build recovery homes. We're going to build a house this year, emergency housing for kids moving into foster care. We're going to do that because we have the means and the intent to do it. We fund church planting in remote places of the earth. You knew that, didn't we? Or in communities that need a life-giving church. Or in prisons where men and women are finding a meaning for life and hope for the future. That's stuff we do every day. All day, every day. We do that all the time. This is who we are. And we do it because people like you are generous. And you've learned the blessing of God flows. A year ago, I spent this whole month talking about how to live under an open heaven. And it's fun for me to go around and listen to you talk not only to me, but to one another, and talk about what it means to live under an open heaven. You, use, you actually use the phrase now. We live under an open heaven. Our life, we're, we live under an open heaven. That means something, doesn't it? It not only means something, it's because it's real, and it's true. And God promises that if we are generous, that the blessing of God will come upon us and overtake us. I love that image, don't you? What a great phrase, a turn of phrase. The blessing of God will find you and overtake you. Run over me, God. <laughs> Hit me one more time. It's wonderful. So great. And that's what happens. Here's some stories just out of our parishioners in our local church that I know about just in the last year. These are stories I've heard. When someone has bought someone else's groceries. You, you know, you're in line. Maybe it's the holiday. Maybe it's a critical time of the year. Maybe there's been some rough weather, whatever. And you see a young family, you know, piling up a whole cart full of food and it's going to be $400 for them to get out of there with the groceries necessary to uh, feed their family. And someone just takes care of that. Would you, would you allow me to buy your groceries? God has blessed me. I'd, I'd like to be a blessing to you. It's really simple. Or a single mom who needed a car. She needed to get to work. She doesn't have transportation. She's stuck. So a person in our church says, I'll buy you a car. And so they, they pull out $10,000 and buy a car because they have an extra $10,000. That's what, that's what blessed people can do and when they're generous that way. Or we have a prisoner in the life of our church who in their neighborhood, their neighbor's house burned down, burned to the ground. And this neighbor just walked, walked over to where they were assessing the damage the next day and handed them a check for tens of thousands of dollars. Here, this will tide you over till you get back on your feet. Who does that? Generous people do that. Godly people do that. Blessed people do that. People living under an open heaven, that's what they can do. But let me just remind you, it's hard to do any of these things if you're broke. So you miss out on one of the choicest blessings in life. When you, when you fail to change, make the appropriate applications of these principles. But just the opposite is true. 100% of the time, God will bless you. And if you're a blessed person, you can be a blessing to others. And it's more blessed to give than receive. So much better. So I encourage you. Well, 
One more verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. This is from our text. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Everyone say cheerful. Cheerful. A cheerful giver. That's the spirit. That's what we want. Well, this is the first Sunday of the new year. People make all kinds of promises, don't they? Resolutions. I'm going to this year. And it's all about change, isn't it? I'm going to change this pattern. I'm going to change this behavior. I'm going to change this circumstance. I'm going to devote myself more intentionally to these changes. This is the first Sunday of the year. Let me ask you this question. What if you knew it was the first Sunday of the last year of your life? Some people believe that maybe a third of the world's population are Christians. If that's true, then last year, 2023, 22 million Christians went to heaven. Apparently, Jesus is regularly calling people home. 22 million last year. <laughs> you know what the chance is that there's someone within the sound of my voice today that this will be the last first Sunday of your life? The chances of that is 100%. A year from now, there will be some number of us, maybe me included, who won't be here. Let me ask you, do you need to make any changes if that's true for you? There's a lot of power in making the right changes. And if you're not prepared for your own death, which is certain, and maybe this year, then you need to make a change. The Bible uses a word for change. It's called repent. This means change your mind, change your direction. You go in one direction, you need to turn, go the other direction. Maybe you're a person who's been searching for God, but you just haven't taken that next step. This is your day for that. Maybe you're a person who's been running from God as fast as you can. You've got a story. You have a, you've taken offense. You believe God has somehow hurt you. And you don't care to know him. Could I just appeal to you? The actual truth is God loves you. And he's never, he's never stopped thinking about you and reaches for you right now to say, come on home. You're welcome. You don't know what I've said. You don't know what I've done. You know, you understand. He's the father who loves you unconditionally. The Bible says that even while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. So there's, there's nothing too bad you can do to cause God to reject you. And so you can come home. Make a change. Make this your day. Make this the first Sunday of the rest of your life that connects you well with Jesus so you can experience the blessings of being part of his family.
Would you pause with me and pray? Lord, we thank you for these wonderful truths that lamp our feet and light our way. You go before us, you prepare a way. And thank you, God, that we can follow you in the way and find your peace, your hope, your blessing. So thank you. And now, friends, let me just pray for you and ask you to join me in prayer to take these next steps of change that will help you to be ready to meet God whenever that might be. So would you pray out loud after me? Would you do it just right after me out loud? Ready? Dear gracious God, I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. I've fallen short. But I believe that Jesus Christ gave his life for my sins. Lord Jesus, forgive me of all my mistakes. Come into my life. I want to know you. I want to live for you. I want to have your peace and the hope you provide. I want to change. So I give my life to you. Now give me the strength to live for you all the days of my life. Thank you for all you've done. You now have my life. I give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Wonderful.